morning, my name is Isaac. I'll be giving the reading, which is from Alakai chapter 3, verses 13 to the end of the book. You have said harsh things against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said, it is futile to serve God. What did we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly the evildoers prosper, and even those who challenge God escape. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honoured his name. They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. I will spare them, just as in compassion a man spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Surely the day is coming, it will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And that day and and that day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. Then you will trample down the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I do these things, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their, fa to their fathers or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. Thanks, Isaac. Um, I'd like to invite Andrew Reid to come and join us um, for the final message. Now, Lord, friends, let's pray. Our Father, we pray today that you would enlighten us through your word, that we might uh, respond to you rightly and live rightly before you. And, Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. But, friends, I, you've done really well getting through Malachi, and uh, I have enjoyed it. Uh, but what I'm going to do today is I want some audience participation. <laughs> Let me tell you what we're going to do. We're going to, I'm going to divide, well, it's already divided. I'm going to divide the room into two. There and there, okay? You can be group one, and you can be group two. Okay, and uh, what I'm going to do is read a passage of scripture. Uh, we're going to read a passage of scripture together that it will be projected on the screen. So, um, group one will stand up, they will read their passage, and then uh, group two, and then all together, having then all be, will then all rise, and we will say uh, the last bit together. Okay? Which did I say was one? <laughs> Them. Okay. So, friends, you can stand and uh, you'll see this, the... Uh, now, I want you to, you know, do this with gusto. You know, good, loud voice. Um, let's read it together. I will start for us. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, 
death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and keep his commands, decrees and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. Two. And you're on your own. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. Up again, and everyone together. This day I call heaven and earth as witness against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Now choose life, so that you and your children may live, and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well done. Now you can sit down. Uh, friends, uh, Malachi is a book about covenants and uh, we have done something like what they would have done in the ancient world. They would have read these bits to each other um, and this passage that I have just read to you is at the end of the ministry of Moses where he sets the covenant out for the people of God and he tells them, look, life is about choices. It's about choosing God and his ways or refusing God and his ways. Then he tells them that there are each, of these, each of these choices has consequences. Choosing to live according to covenant means blessing. Choosing not to live according to covenant means curses. I want you to remember that. This is very important. This little exercise we've done is a very important exercise. It lays before Israel their choices. And in one sense, what happens in this book we're looking at today, in the last part of Malachi, is that God is laying before us some choices as well. So, now there is a second bit of background that we need to know if we are to understand um, the book of Malachi. During the time of the Old Testament prophets, uh, a new term began to appear in Israel's, in their prophetic language. The prophets began to speak of something that was called the Day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. Sometimes they, they simply call it the day or that day. And the way that the, they spoke indicates that the day of the Lord could be viewed in two ways. First, the day of the Lord was a day when God would spectacularly intervene in history. It was a day when he would act to save his people. But it wasn't only that. There was a second aspect. The day of the Lord was also a day when he would intervene to judge his enemies. So save his people, number one, to, to judge his enemies. No matter which it was, the day, it was a day when he would reveal his righteousness. That revelation could mean one thing for you or the other thing for you. It could mean judgment. It could mean salvation. Now the reason I'm telling you this is because Malachi uses this language of the day of the Lord. And he's already used it back in chapter 3. And he's going to use it in chapter 4 as well. And now that we understand it a bit, let's have a look at the passage and see how it works out. 
Start with Malachi chapter 3, verse 13. First thing I want you to notice is that this passage speaks of two responses that the people have to the covenant with God. First response is one of scoffing or ridiculing God's covenant. Have a look at verses 13 to 15. You have said harsh things against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said, it's futile to serve God. What did we gain by carrying out the requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly the evildoers prosper and even those who challenge God escape. I wonder if you can see what's going on here. In verse 13, God says, Oh, you've spoken harsh things about me and against me. Verse 14, he tells us what those harsh things are. God's people are saying that it is vain or futile to serve him. That's what's going on. It's futile. Why? Because it doesn't pay. It's got no good end to it. After all, the arrogant, well, they appear to get blessed. They have good things happen to them. And evildoers prosper and those who challenge God escape. So what's the benefit in lining yourself up with God then? if you can be ungodly and get good things. So um, we will call that first group the scoffers. And that, that is what they are saying. They're saying, basically saying, there's no good reason to keep covenant, so why do it? Keeping God's covenant does not pay. Second response recorded in verse 16. Have a look at it there. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honoured his name. Here we have that alternative view of scoffing to scoffing against God. What's the alternative view? To honour him. So verse 16, to, and uh, a fear of God shows itself in a desire to honour his name. Therefore, verse 16 tells us these people, they then all get together. They talk with each other and they write their names down. It's a bold move, isn't it? And record that they are those who fear the Lord and want to honour his name. In other words, they go public with their fear of God. Does that make sense? They go public. They say, this is where we are. You might be over there, you scoffers, but we are here. We are for God and his ways. We'll call these people the God-fearers. Scoffers and God-fearers. But now let's turn to 3.18 to 4.3. Have a look at it. In these verses, we're told that God responds to these, sets of, uh, these two sets of responses to him and his covenant. And first, verse 18. He tells, we're told that God distinguishes between the two groups. Have a look, verse 18. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who don't, between those who are in covenant and those who are not, basically, is what is being said. He distinguishes between scoffers and God-fearers. Let's look at the first group. first group we heard about in verse 15. They are those who scoff against God and the idea of serving him. And in verse 18, they're described as those who are wicked. Those who don't serve God. Look at what, and chapter 4 verse 1 describes their fate using the language of the day of the Lord. Look at what it says. Surely a day is coming. It'll burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be like will be stubble, and that day is coming. Uh, so 
sorry, and that day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. The scoffers will experience the day of the Lord as a day of judgment. It'll be a day of fierce fire and it will consume them in judgment. Now let's have a look at the second group, the God-fearers. In verse 18, they're described with new language. They are righteous or those who serve God. In other words, they are people who keep covenant, who are committed to covenant and who keep it. They're righteous who serve God, people who keep covenant. And God's response to them is described in two verses. First, look at verse 17, or two sets of verses. They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. I will spare them, just as in compassion a man spares his son who, spare, who, who serves him. Now, I want you to notice some things that are going on here. First, there's a reference again to the day of the Lord. Now, often the day of the Lord is a day of judgment in the prophets. You read it and you think, oh, they're at it again. <laughs> it's a day of judgment. Um, but not here. Not for these God-fearers. No. No, on this day, for them, it will be a great day of great blessing. He, God, will make up his treasured possession. And, and he will be like a man who spares a son who serves him. Second thing I want you to notice is the term treasured possession. The term is used elsewhere in the Old Testament in covenant settings, and it's used to describe all of God's covenant people. But here there's a difference, a very striking difference. Here it is used for just some of God's people, not all of God's people, just some. And that's because these are the people among God's people who behave as members of God's kingdom and those in covenant with him. They are people who do what the covenant is all about. They are people who fear the Lord would be the other language for them. God is clear about such people. They will be his, verse 17. But let's go to chapter 4. Look at verses 2 and 3 again. But for you who revere my name, I love this language. It's, it's just a great phrase, isn't it? The sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. Isn't that wonderful? And you will go out and leap like calves released from the storm. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but it's wonderful. And then he says, you will trample down the wicked and they will be as ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I do these things, says the Lord Almighty. Now, look at how these group of people are described. They are those who revere, who fear God's name. And look at how God will respond to them. The sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. They'll be like young, healthy, fattened calves skipping around with lots of energy. The Lord's great day, well, it won't be a day of fear and darkness for them. Oh no, it'll be a day of rescue and great joy and release. When the ashes of scoffers are lying on the ground and those who those who fear God will be filled with joy at God's presence with them. Isn't it a rich picture? But stark. One, on the one side, something very tough. On the other side, something very rich. 
Let's sum up what we've found. Malachi's told us that God is the faithful God. If his people are unfaithful, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. In his covenant, he had a covenant with his people. In his covenant, he promised judgment and mercy. And he will be faithful to his promise for he's a faithful God. In Malachi, we've heard this time after time after time. God is the faithful God. But these verses are clear that this faithful God demands a faithful response. Faith should be met by faith. He looks for a response from his people. He looks for them to be faithful as he himself is faithful. You can see it in verse 4. Look at what he says. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and the laws I gave at Horeb for all of Israel. In the Old Testament, um, the word for remember is... um, Not like the word sometimes we want in in exam situations, I want recall. It's not the same as that. It's a bit more. It means to bring something into mind and act on it. Does that make sense? So when you remember something, it's not as though you say, oh, I've forgotten this particular fact. No. What you're saying is, ah, I've forgotten. I, I, I am in this relationship and I belong. So God looks for a response. And, uh, and look at how God will respond to his people. And uh, I've already shown you that language. Um, now, now let's move on to, he looks for response for his people, looks for them to be faithful. And verse 4 says, remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and the laws I gave at Horeb for all of Israel. That's what he wants. He wants people who remember. And remember what I said about remember? Remember is not just cognition, not recall. It's remembering and acting. In the Old Testament, it means to bring something to mind and act on it. And it continually tells us that God remembers his covenant. You see, God is not a God who sits in heaven and forgets his relationships. No, he remembers. He remembers the relationship he has with his people. He acts upon it. And here he's saying that he wants his people to do the same. To remember the law is to remember covenant. It's to remember that Israel said they would respond to God's grace by keeping God's word and commandment. That is what God is seeking. People who, in inverted commas, fear him. Another way to express it is people who love him. People who keep his law, his decrees and and, and the relational commitment that they gave. Covenant faithfulness. And love is shown in keeping God's law. In verses 5 and 6, can you see there? God goes on to say that he'll give one more warning. Look at it. He says, See, I will send the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. So this day is coming, sure as anything. But before it comes, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give one last messenger coming. I will send you the prophet Elijah for that great and terrible day of the Lord comes. And, listen to this, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers or else I'll come and strike the land with a curse. In other words, he's going to bind together Israel. Now look at these verses, two difficult things to understand. First, we need to understand the sentence. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. We need to say a few things about this sentence. 
There is no exact parallel to it anywhere else in the Old Testament. And B, there are some tricky words here. For example, the word that is translated as turn here is the same word that is used elsewhere in the Old Testament for restore or bring home or bring back. Also, the word to here is the Hebrew word that usually means on or upon. So, if I could, here's, here's an Andrew Reid special translation for you. Okay, it goes like this. We could translate it. He will restore the hearts of parents upon their children and the hearts of children upon their parents. Now, in other words, I think he's saying he'll restore parents and children as well. Okay? And... Uh, as well as uh, and the children as well as their parents that is whole families will be engaged in this the goal of the prophet's ministry therefore is what to be to turn all of society from youngest to oldest back back to god now with that in mind we need to think about this language about elijah in the old testament prophets were the people who reminded God of the people of uh, God's people of the covenant they had with God and their obligations as God's covenant people. That's why you didn't like prophets when they turned up because they were going to tell you what you needed to do that you hadn't done. Um, they, were, they were reminders of the covenant. And one of the greatest and earliest Old Testament prophets of covenant was Elijah. And what I think is being said here is that God is going to send someone who will do what Elijah did. Another Elijah, as it were. Another, if you like, incarnation of Elijah. You know what I mean by that. He will send him before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And his goal will be to restore the hearts of people back to God. The whole of the book of Malachi has been about the hearts of the people of God and how they are far from him. So God is now sending one final warning. That warning has a goal, to restore. That's what God wants beyond anything else, to restore his people to himself. But if they don't return, as a result of this last final send, uh, sending, there'll be only one possibility left. What is it? God will have to come reluctantly but he will in judgment and verse 6 says he will come and strike the land with a curse again a reference to the covenant in, Le in Leviticus 26 Deuteronomy 28 and 29 God was clear that if the people did not act rightly in covenant God would send the covenant curses upon them and the covenant curses spelt out in Deuteronomy and Leviticus were clear God would lay waste to the land so there's our passage in a nutshell. Now I guess that the big question is if, when and how these things were fulfilled. Does that make sense? Or if they have yet been fulfilled. Now I, there's no record of the fulfilment in the Old Testament. You search, you won't find it. There's no record of the fulfilment of this in the Old Testament. But Jesus refers to this very passage in the New Testament. Look at Matthew 17. Flip over. 
in your Bibles to Matthew 17. And uh, just follow the logic. In verses 1 to 8, we're told that Jesus is transfigured. Do you remember that? He's transfigured. He's also, when he's transfigured, he's, he's seen to be in the company of Moses and Elijah, who are spoken of in the last few verses of Malachi. So here you have Jesus, and then you've got those two spoken about in Malachi there as well. And that doesn't escape the notice of the disciples. And so, as they're coming down from the mountain, Jesus talks with them. And have a look at verses 9 to 13. As they're coming down from the mountain, Jesus instructed them. And he said, Don't tell anyone about what you've seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, Why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus replied, Oh, to be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, that Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him. But I have done to him everything, but have done to him everything they wished, in the same way as the Son of Man will suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. I want you to notice. They appear, the disciples appear to be quoting the teachers of the law who seem to be quoting Malachi. And do you notice what Jesus says in response? He clearly, clearly identifies John the Baptist with Elijah. Jesus is clear. John the Baptist is the one who fulfills this prophecy in the book of Malachi. He is the Elijah spoken of here. Now, you're all smart people. You must be beginning to work out the logic now. Let's think about what it means for a moment, just to clarify. The first implication is absolutely astounding. Go back to Malachi 4, look at what it says, and it clearly says Elijah will come before the great and terrible day of the Lord. That appears to mean, and Jesus is affirming this, that appears to mean that he's affirming that he is the Lord. That appears to be what he is saying. And that appears to be the point of Malachi chapter 3 verse 1 as well. The point is very strong. Can you hear it? This is, I think, a declaration by Jesus as to who he is. Jesus is the Lord himself. In other words, he's the God of the Old Testament. He is God. That, I think, is what Jesus is saying by using this language. But that's not all. You see, if John the Baptist was Elijah, if he ushered in the day of the Lord, then we are standing on the threshold of the day of the Lord. And that is exactly what Peter says in Acts 2 when he quotes Joel chapter 2. We are now, friends, in the last days. Don't wait for them. They're here already. We are standing on the edge of God's great and climactic intervention in history. Oh, he may be holding them back temporarily so that more might come in, but we are standing there, or sorry, sitting there. And then comes the crunch. You see, 
If you followed the logic up till this point, then stick with me and look at the final point. And I want you to do this, turn to 2 Peter. So turn in your Bibles to the back of your Bibles, to 2 Peter chapter 3. And let me read verses 1 to 13 to you. And I want you to listen very carefully and join the dots yourself. Okay, given what I've said, join the dots yourself. Notice the similarities between Malachi and 2 Peter. Now, here we go. Dear friends, says Peter, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the Holy Prophets and the command given by our Lord and Saviour through your Apostles. First of all, you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is his coming that he promised? Ever since the fathers died, everything just goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water by water. By these waters also the world at that time was deluged and destroyed, speaking of the flood. By the same word the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But don't forget this one thing, my dear friends. With the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow to keep his promises. Some understand slowness, but he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But, but, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? That is, as you're waiting for this day that is surely coming and as God is holding back from judgment, what sort of people should you be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. As you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming, what you see, the day of the Lord has no fear for you if you are on the right side of God. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire. The elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. The home of all the longings of the people of God. The home of righteousness. Now, what I want you to notice is that Peter takes the whole, takes all those things that were applied to Jews in the Old Testament and he applies it to all human beings in all the world now. All people in all the world now. And I want you to see his logic. It's potent. You see, there may be some of you here today who are not Christians. You might think that since you're not Christians and not Jews, the things that Malachi talks about don't apply to you. But what Peter says here does apply to you. You see, you are the creation of God. If you're a human being, you are the creation of God. And as the creation of God, you owe him allegiance and loyalty. And this passage is clear that if you don't give him that allegiance and loyalty, then only one fate awaits, the terrifying prospect of facing God's judgment. 
that God is James reluctantly into judgment and so he's held off the day he's held off the day so more may come in God's absolute desire in his world is mercy and forgiveness he is long suffering not wanting any to perish for this reason he sent the son into the world to enable people to be forgiven where they could not be righteous themselves he would give them a foreign righteousness of his son God loves you and he sent his only son into the world to die for you in your place and he's waiting for you to return this is for those of you who are not yet Christian he's waiting for you to return but let me tell you what Peter says what our reading says is that God will not wait forever. So please, turn back to God if you have not done it yet. In the Old Testament, how do you do it? By fearing the Lord. In the New Testament, how do you express your fear of the Lord? By trusting in Jesus. So again, if you're not Christian here today, I urge you to flee from God's coming wrath and to put your faith and trust in Jesus. But I also want to have a word to those of us who are Christian. A word to myself and a word to you. You see, Peter is writing to a group of Christians here. If you're a Christian, I want you to see where Peter ends up. You see, I think he ends up in the same place as Malachi. Look at 2 Peter 3.10. Just now, given all the background of what we've done, listen to it. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people should you be? Ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Mm -hmm. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. Christian sisters and brothers, I've spoken to those of you not Christian. Now let me speak to those of us who are. Malachi says that we ought to be people of obedience to God's law. New Testament equivalent is spelt out here. So if the Old Testament is equivalent by God's law, New Testament equivalent is here we should people we should be people who strive to live godly and holy lives you see if we're trusting in Jesus if we're fearing God we don't need to worry about that coming day even if it's tonight we don't need to worry in fact as verse 12 says you can look forward to it for we are God's people we love him and we have nothing to fear by his appearing for his appearing will mean what? It'll mean we'll be in his presence forever. The presence of the God of all the earth, who is the Lord, the Lord, the gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. It'll mean salvation, his eternal presence. So I want to close with these words. Therefore, friends, remember this. Remember, those of you who are fearers of the Lord, fearers of the God of all the earth, 
Rejoice, believers, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Rejoice in this, you treasured people of the living God. What a note to finish on. Rejoice, dearest of God. Rejoice, you treasured people of the living God. Rejoice in Jesus who won this free gift for you. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you have held off this day for so long so that more might enter in. Please, Father, keep us faithful, faithful fearers of you and of your Son. Help us to rejoice in our relationship with you, the living God, and help us to rejoice in Jesus who won this free gift through your abounding, overwhelming love. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.